10 years ago, a writer for the New Yorker by the name of Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book called Outliers, The Story of Success. And uh, Gladwell studied people who have achieved outsized success. He studied everyone from corporate lawyers to talented hockey players to high-achieving students. And what he wanted to understand was, was how and why outliers become so successful. And it's interesting because what Gladwell found would only be surprising in America, where the age-old idea of the self-made man and the rugged individualist has taken on mythic proportions. His argument throughout the book is that in American culture, we so, proudly, we so profoundly personalize success that we diminish the role that many other people played in any one given person's success. Here's what he says. I'll put it on the screen so you can read it. Superstar lawyers and math whizzes and software entrepreneurs appear at first blush to lie outside ordinary experience, but they don't. They are products of history and community, of opportunity and legacy. Their success is not exceptional or mysterious. It is grounded in a web of advantages and inheritances. Some deserve, some not, some earned, some just plain lucky. But all critical to making them who they are. The outlier, in the end, is not an outlier at all. And again, this would only be surprising in America. There's a time in America's history where a person's identity was inexorably wrapped up in a local community. But today, we're really more like uh, networked individuals. We're people who are loosely bound together by interests, but each of us is convinced that we're answerable ultimately completely to ourselves. Individualism reigns in America. And unfortunately, that same individualistic attitude has permeated the church in America which is a significant reason for the demise of American Christianity. Scriptures are very, very clear on this point that Christianity only flourishes in the context of community. Uh, you've heard me use this quote before. It's a great quote. Uh, just because I've used it before is never going to stop me from using it again and again if it's a great quote. Dallas Willard, one of my favorite authors, once wrote this, that God's aim in human history is the creation of an inclusive community of loving people with himself included as its primary sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. Individualism is not a part of Christianity. It has no place. There is no lone ranger in the Christian community. Christianity only flourishes in the context of community. This morning we're beginning a series that will introduce a new emphasis in our church that we hope we'll reverse this lethal tendency toward individualism and isolation, at least among the people who call City Church home. And this series is called Back to Basics, and it's really the brainchild of Dustin Krantz, who many of you know is a teaching and discipleship pastor here at City Church. When we brought Dustin onto our staff a little less than a year ago, we wanted Dustin to be white hot in his focus on two major things. The first is what I've been talking about already, community. We are all too aware that a vast majority of people here at City Church, like many other churches around the country, are not involved in any kind of meaningful fellowship with other followers of Christ. We believe that's unacceptable. And we have tasked Dustin with the responsibility to build opportunities for community and to build systems that make it easy for you to get into community. And we're beginning to see the results of all of the behind-the-scenes work that Dustin has been doing. And uh, if you looked in your program this morning when I called your attention to it, you saw that we started 
uh, a number of new things, a couple of new recovery groups, uh, new women's ministry that's launching uh, this Saturday. Uh, the week before last, Dustin held three dinners in our home to train our existing city life group leaders for a change in the way that we're going to do our city life groups. Next month, we're going to launch something called Group Connect, which will help you become a part of what these uh, city life groups, uh, these small groups of people that meet in homes around the area, we want to help you become a part of those. And so we're launching this thing called Group Connect, and we're going to hold Group Connect on three consecutive Thursday nights in October, the 11th, the 18th, and the 25th, in order to make sure that everyone who wants to be a part of a city life group has a chance to attend one of those nights. And we're doing this because we want to reverse the inertia of individualism that has been created in you by our culture. We want you to unlearn the myth of the self-made man or the self-made woman or the self-made married couple or the self-made family. There is no rugged individualism in the community of God. But the other major part of Dustin's job, besides community, the other part, major part of Dustin's job that we've tasked him to focus on is discipleship. And I am convinced that one of the primary reasons so many people who attend churches live in isolation is that they do not understand the fundamental calling of believers in Christ to be more than just passive, casual, sporadic church attenders, but to be active disciples of Jesus Christ. And you know, for some of us here, uh, it's been so long since we, since we first believed in Christ that we've forgotten this most basic call of Christianity, the call to be disciples of Jesus. For others of us here, uh, we're so new to Christianity that maybe you've never even heard or understood that the basic call of Christianity is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so in this series, we're going back to the basics to remind ourselves of the kind of relationship that Jesus calls us into. Because once we understand that, not only does the problem of isolated Christians fall away, but so does the problem of casual, passive Christianity. And so if you have a Bible with you this morning, I'd like to take you back to the basic call of Christ on your life and mine. Turn to the Gospel of Matthew. It's in the first book in the New Testament to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to begin reading in just a moment in verse 18. Bob, could I ask you to grab that bottle of water and bring that up to me, one of those bottles, and bring that up to me? Thank you. The verses that we're going to read, thank you, the verses that we're going to read in Matthew chapter 4 uh, occur in the very early days of Jesus' ministry. Jesus' plan uh, to change the world wasn't to do that on his own. The, revel the revolution that Jesus began started with a small band of people who would be his closest followers and who would carry this revolution beyond the scope of his life here on earth. And Matthew records the very first invitation to a few of those men to be his disciples. I want to start reading in verse 18. I'm going to break uh, from my normal pattern of reading from the NIV. I'm going to use the New American Standard Version today uh, of the Bible because I think it better reflects what Jesus says here. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, 
They left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them immediately. They left the boat and their father and followed him. Uh, in the coming weeks, we're going to develop verse 19 more fully. Uh, today, uh, the task that I've been given is just to sort of give you an overview of three broad characteristics of a disciple in Jesus Christ that Jesus lays out in verse 19. That's really going to be the, the basis, the key verse for this uh, series that we're going to be doing. So let me just start by naming these three broad characteristics of a follower uh, or of a disciple of Jesus. We'll talk about them more in just a moment. But a disciple of Jesus <clears throat> is someone who follows Jesus, is being changed by Jesus, and is on mission with Jesus. Uh, follows Jesus, is being changed by Jesus, and is on mission with Jesus. If you follow Jesus but aren't being changed by Jesus, then you're not a disciple of Jesus. If you're being changed by Jesus but you aren't on mission with Jesus, you aren't a disciple of Jesus. A disciple of Jesus follows Jesus, is being changed by Jesus, and is on mission with Jesus. A disciple of Jesus is all three of those things. And I want to start with a disciple is a person who follows Jesus. The word that Jesus uses that is translated follow here is a Greek word that means to accept another person's command, to accept another person's leadership. And in Jesus' day, this would have been described as being a disciple of someone. The word disciple was a common word in his day. It's not one that we use very frequently in uh, our everyday common vernacular. In fact, when you hear the word disciple today, it often brings to mind people who are emotionally unsteady, uh, unthinking, sort of slavish followers of a cult leader. For instance, many of you remember, maybe, or you know about, the Jonestown Massacre in November of 1978. 918 people who were disciples of the Reverend Jim Jones literally drank his Kool-Aid, spiked with cyanide. All of them died on the same day. Or the Branch Davidians, people who were disciples of David Koresh, 79 of whom followed Koresh into death in April of 1993. But listen to me on this. Those are some bad examples of disciples. Everyone is a disciple of someone, and maybe even more than someone. A disciple is simply a person who has consciously decided to be with and to learn from another person in order to become capable of doing what that person does or to become what that person is. That's what a disciple is. And that's what Jesus has in mind here when he invites these men and us by extension, to follow. He's inviting us to learn in the way, to learn to live in the way that he lives. Now, some of you might be wondering, well, why didn't he just use that word disciple? Why didn't he just say, come, follow, you know, come, be my disciples? Why didn't he say that? Well, I think it's because there's an implication to the phrase, follow me, that would not be clear if he would have just said, be my disciple. You see, when Jesus invites us to follow him, the implication is that he is going somewhere. Right? Like you can't follow a person who's standing still. You can only follow a person who has a destination in mind. And let me ask you something. Where exactly was Jesus headed? Where, where, where is he inviting us to follow him to? The correct answer is a cross. A place of sacrifice. That's where Jesus is inviting us to follow him to. Uh, there was a movement 
that began in the church in America back in the 1980s, 1990s. It's still very much alive in the American church. And it was called the church growth movement. And there are a lot of good things that came out of that movement. Basically, behind the, the idea behind the movement was that churches needed to become better at being culturally relevant. That, of course, can be a good thing. But as part of the church growth movement, churches began adopting a philosophy of ministry called attractional ministry. And the idea behind attractional ministry was that the people on the church staff would work really hard to put on good, culturally relevant, dare I say, entertaining worship services that would attract people to come to their church. Not only that, churches would try to identify the felt needs of people in their surrounding community and develop programs and ministries to meet those needs. So far, so good. Nothing inherently wrong with any of that. But over time, an axiom of the church growth movement developed, and it was just taken for granted. And the axiom was this, that a healthy church is a growing church. And of course, a growing church meant a church that was growing numerically. Well, of course, listen, uh, there's not a pastor in America that doesn't want to have a healthy church. So those of us who are in leadership, those of us who are pastors, me included, by the way, I was as complicit as the next pastor in this. We bought hook, line, and sinker into the axiom that a healthy church was a growing church, which meant that you needed to keep your church growing at all costs. The problem with that axiom was that even in Jesus' own ministry, and you see this very clearly in the Gospels, in the beginning of his ministry, he attracted huge crowds of people. People loved Jesus. They loved the miracles he was doing. They loved the fact that he challenged the religious establishment. They were convinced that he was going to overthrow the Roman government and restore the Jewish people to national sovereignty. They loved their idea of Jesus, the Messiah, the victor Messiah. But the closer Jesus got to the cross, the crowds uh, didn't keep growing. <laughs> they shrunk. And they shrunk dramatically. All the way to the night before he was crucified when everyone abandoned him. Everyone. So in the attractional church growth philosophy of ministry, if you wanted to be a healthy church, you had to keep the church growing. But if you really taught people that what Jesus was calling them to follow him to was a cross, people would stop coming, you see. And then your church would stop growing, which meant that your church was no longer healthy. So we majored on the need-meeting aspect of Jesus' ministry. And by doing so, we watered down the cost of following Jesus, which is why churches are full of people today who are passive, extremely needy, casual believers of Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that's true of every one of you. I'm not saying that at all. You know, I want you to know I love the people of City Church, and I'm constantly impressed by the people of City Church. But I do know that there are many, many people in every church around the country, this church included, there are many, many people who are passive, extremely needy, casual believers of Jesus. They never understood the cost of what they were getting into. It is so hard to believe that Jesus' invitation to follow him is not an invitation to safe, kicked back, casual, convenient belief. He invites you to follow him to a cross where he would sacrifice himself 
for the sake of others, where instead of being served, he would serve, where instead of having his needs met, he would meet other people's needs. And you see, that's what a person, that's what a disciple is, a person who follows Jesus to the cross. And I will tell you, I don't want City Church, I, I don't want City Church to grow by hiding the cost of discipleship to Jesus. You need to understand that cost. You need to understand that Jesus is calling you to follow him to the cross, a place of sacrifice and self-denial for the sake of others. You need to understand that cost. But you also need to understand the cost of non-discipleship. And the cost of non-discipleship is much higher than the cost of discipleship. Let me go back to an illustration I used a couple of weeks ago. If Warren Buffett came into town, you guys, some of you guys remember me using the Warren Buffett illustration a couple weeks ago. Please say yes. It'll make me feel so much better about my preaching. <laughs> and that's what it's all about this morning. It's all about me, right? If Warren Buffett came into town and he said, listen, if you'll pay 500 bucks, sacrifice three hours, three hours of your time on a Wednesday night, I promise you, I will make you as wealthy as I am. Would you pay the cost? <laughs> sure, you'd pay the cost. I mean, there's a cost to being a disciple to Warren Buffett. But let's say you decide, look, I, I, I don't want to pay the 500 bucks. I'm tired. I don't want to go down there. I don't want to fight the crowds. There's a cost to that too, isn't there? Yeah, there's a cost to that. It'll cost you a fortune to choose not to be a disciple of Warren Buffett. What's the cost to choosing not to be a disciple of the one who is the expert at life because he created life? And he said that if you would follow him, you would have life and have it abundantly. What's the cost of non-discipleship? Surely, you, you, you need to count the cost of following Jesus, but you also need to count the cost of not following Jesus A disciple is somebody who follows Jesus, understands that they're following him to a cross, but they want to follow him. That's what a disciple is. Jesus says in verse 19, the disciple of Jesus is not only somebody who's following him, but is also somebody who is being changed by him. I said a moment ago that everybody is a disciple of someone. Uh, You know, today, the NFL, uh, it's the first Sunday of the NFL, right? It's kicking off. And uh, it's interesting that as the NFL is kicking off this Sunday, we're kicking off a new series. You see how? So every year that I've preached, every single year that I've preached on this particular Sunday, I always use the same joke. Every year. And it always gets about the response that I got there this morning. It's not highbrow humor, but it's my kind of humor. Uh. I said that everybody's a disciple of someone, you know, the NFL's starting. There are, there are disciples of Bill Belichick, coach of the New England Patriots. There are disciples of Bill Belichick all over the NFL, right? And um, there are disciples of Jack Welch, who was the former CEO of GE. There are, for, there are disciples of Jack Welch in the, in the business community. And uh, in the home, there are many women who are disciples of, let's say, Martha Stewart. I don't, I don't know. Maybe you're a disciple of Martha Stewart, you know? Uh, Everybody's a disciple of someone. 
Being a disciple is learning to become like someone. You want to become what that person is. You want to be able to do what that person does. And so if that person is a nut, then you will likely become nutty. If the person is a jerk, you'll likely become a jerk. If that person is courageous, you'll likely become courageous. If that person is a good business person, you will likely become a good business person too. And if that person is Jesus, you will become what? What? What will you become? A Republican, a conservative, a capitalist, middle class. What will you become if you're a disciple of Jesus? What will you become? You become just like the person that you're following. If you're a disciple of someone, you become. So what will you become if you become a disciple of Jesus? You become a lover. That's what you become. A lover. Jesus said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see, you know, the per, you, you know who a person is a disciple of by the defining characteristic of the discipler. And if you're a disciple of Jesus, you're becoming a lover. And of course, you can't love people in isolation. You have to be in community and in relationships with other people to love people. It's no coincidence that Jesus invited Peter and Andrew and James and John here in this passage to be his disciples, along with eight other men in community. One of those men would end up betraying Jesus himself. You can't learn to love people, including difficult people, in isolation. And so you understand what this means, right? If Jesus says that he will make you a lover, what does that mean about you naturally? It means that you aren't a lover. Unless by lover, we mean a lover of self. Because that's what all of us are natural, naturally. Following Jesus will change you in many ways, but all of those ways that he will change you will add up to being a lover of people. For the first time in your life, when you decide to follow Jesus, you begin to see that you are not the center of the universe and that he actually is the center of the universe, literally. And you begin to live like he lived, other-centered, not self-centered. And so when Jesus calls you to be his disciple, he is inviting you into the school of love with him as the master teacher. He wants to teach you how to love. He wants to teach you how to love your spouse, how to love Democrats, how to love Republicans, and how to love socialists. He wants to teach you how to love vegans, how to love Eastsiders, how to love Westsiders, how to love cowboy fans. He wants to teach you how to love blue-collar people, white-collar people, how to love your friends, and how to love your enemies. He wants to teach you how to love people of different ethnicities. He wants to teach you how to love an addict. He wants to teach you how to love a person who is in a destructive relationship. And he wants to teach you how to love a person with whom you're in conflict. Jesus wants to teach you how to love the mentally challenged, how to love the physically challenged, and even, yes, how to love the Judases in your life, the people who betray you. Jesus invites you into the school of love with him as the master teacher and the master example 
of what love looks like. I know that it is hard for some of you to imagine, but Drake and Pusha T and Taylor Swift, and for those of you who are a bit older, Steven Tyler and Mick Jagger, are not the experts in love. Jesus is. And once you understand this, you see, you recognize that you can't just be an isolated church attender. Once you understand the call to discipleship, is the call to be changed by Jesus into a lover, it becomes patently clear that that can only happen in the context of meaningful fellowship with other people who are also learning to become lovers. Christianity only flourishes, you see, in the context of a community. You cannot be a disciple and live in isolation because you will not learn how to be a good lover all alone. Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you into lovers of people. Because you're not a lover by yourself. I mean, you may think you are, but you're not. Naturally, you're not. So people who are disciples of Jesus or people who are following Jesus, they're people who are being changed by Jesus. And then finally this. They're people who are on mission with Jesus. And Jesus says in verse 19, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's the mission part, you see. Fishermen, fishermen don't go out and buy fishing rods and reels and bait in a boat just to sit on the water. They go with a purpose. They have a mission. They're going to catch something. And I've been saying throughout this sermon that Christianity doesn't flourish outside of the context of community, and that is very true. But you also need to know this. Community without mission is cancer. Community without mission is absolute cancer. When a community has no mission, when there's no outward focus, it begins to eat away at itself. The people in the community begin to snipe at each other. They start to worry about who has the most power. They take offense at the slightest provocations. Believe me, this is very true. I was once in a meeting where uh, one in a church like this that had community but no real mission. And I was in an elder meeting where one of the elders got so angry at one of the other elders that he asked him if he wanted to step outside and fight. I kid you not. I kid you not. Community without mission is cancer. And the disciple of Jesus is on mission with Jesus. I want to challenge some of you who are Christians and who have been for many years. I said this a few weeks ago. I want to challenge you to come out of your spiritual retirement and get back on mission with Jesus. There is no reason that some of you can't be leading a city life group. I think I heard Dustin say uh, the other day in one of our meetings that we have like 50 or so people on a waiting list to get into city life groups because we don't have enough present leaders. Some of you who have been Christians for a long time, you need to come out of retirement and lead a group and start making disciples. We'll train you how to do it. But you need to come out of retirement. Some of you are in spiritual retirement. You need to come out of retirement. And do you know why? Because, and, and I hope that you will hear me on this, uh, there are some needs that only you can see. 
There are some hands that only you can hold. There are some people only you can reach. And yes, I can promise that it will cost you something. It might cost you a night at home in front of Netflix. It might keep you from being able to engage in your favorite hobby a little bit. It might even cost you something much, much greater. But I want to tell you something. There is nothing in the world as exhilarating as being on mission with Jesus. And there is nothing as boring and soul-crushing as being a casual, passive, laid-back follower of self. I read a fascinating statistic the other day. Listen to this. More Iranians have become Christians in the last 20 years, listen to this, more Iranians have become Christians in the last 20 years than in the previous 13 centuries put together. We look around in America and we bemoan the state of Christianity here. We think that Christianity is dying out in the world. No, it's just dying out here in America. God is at work in other parts of the world. And listen to me. Uh, People aren't becoming Christians in Iran without someone picking up their cross and telling them about Jesus. And do you understand the cost of that? Iran is ranked the 10th worst nation by the Christian Persecution World Watch list for persecution of Christians. And yet, there are disciples of Jesus in Iran who are so on mission with Jesus that they're willing to pick up their own cross to love other people into the community of Jesus. One of the reasons that Christianity is declining in America is that we have lost sight of the very basic and fundamental call of Jesus to be disciples who make disciples. That's where we're going as a church in the coming years. Starting today, that's where we're headed as a church. And listen to me, I'll tell you this. I don't want to grow this church numerically with a bunch of casual, uh, sporadic, kicked back, relaxed followers of Jesus. I don't want to grow the church that way. I want to grow this church with people who are disciples of Jesus. And if growing the church with disciples of Jesus, uh, if, and, and telling them about the cost of following Jesus, that the cost is following him all the way to the cross, if that grows us spiritually but shrinks us numerically, so be it. So be it. I'd rather be smaller and more on fire and more committed to the mission of Jesus than larger and laid back and sort of fat and happy. And so if you want to become a part of the revolution of Jesus Christ, this is going to be a great place for you to be. If you don't want to be part of that revolution, uh, this won't be as, as great a place as it could be for you. Because that's where we're headed. That's where we're focused. Starting today and ongoing, we're focused on becoming a church of disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ who make disciples. That's the revolution that we want to be a part of. And we would invite you to be a part of that revolution with us. Become a follower of Jesus. Become someone who follows him. Become someone who's being changed by him, made and turned into a lover of people.
and a person who's on mission with him. Would you bow with me for prayer? And in the silence, would you just take a moment and reflect uh, over your own life, your own relationship to Jesus. Some of you here don't have a relationship with Jesus. It's time today to begin one. And it begins by acknowledging that you're a sinner and that there is only one way that your sins can be dealt with so that you can have a relationship with God. And that one way is Jesus and his death on the cross. It is not through a moral code. It is not through a religion. It is not through any other way, any other means, but the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you acknowledge that today, you move from unbelief to belief. But Jesus is inviting you to more than just belief. He's inviting you to be a part of his revolution, to be a follower of Jesus, who is being changed by Jesus and who is on mission with Jesus. For those of you who are here today that maybe you've lost sight of that basic fundamental calling, just own that. Just confess that before the Lord and ask him to reignite in you the fire, the hunger, the desire, the thirst to be a disciple of Jesus, following him all the way to your own cross. And Lord, that's a supernatural thing. We, you know, in, in and of ourselves, that's not something that we would respond to. We ask, Lord, that you would create that. Every person in this room today created in me. Lord, let us become a church that is a church of disciples. Let that be our focus. And Lord, let us not deviate from that. And would you use us in this city to transform this city as we become people who follow you, who are being made into lovers, and people who are on mission with you. And it's in your name, Lord Jesus Christ, that we pray. 